Mac Power Users, episode 626. It's like two dozen calendars. Hello and welcome back to Mac Power Users. My name is Stephen Hackett. I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hello, David. Hello, Stephen. How are you today? I am. I'm good. It's a little weird, a little behind the scenes for a second. Okay. Uh, you're taking a, a little time away from work, which is awesome. Yeah. I'm more than a little jealous. Mine's coming in March, so I'm excited about mine too. But we're it means we're recording this one the day after we recorded the Austin Evans interview, which you haven't gone listen to. Like, go listen to it. It was excellent. So I'm with a lot, a lot of David this week. I'm gonna be sad next week when you're when you're not recording with me. You know, it's funny. So I have, um, I have run this show since every episode I've been on, you know, Katie had some family issues. She missed a couple. You've had some stuff. You had to miss a couple and, um, I've never missed one. And I got thinking, well, I'm going on vacation next week. We we had planned this vacation like before Omicron and before I decided to quit being a lawyer. So (laughs) I didn't really know that I was going to be like in the midst of this big transition when we went. But, you know, we booked it Daisy's birthday and and I'm taking my lady uh, to Disney World anyway. But the um, so we're going on the vacation. It's you know, it's not a question. (laughs) I think, well, this is maybe I'll just miss that one. Maybe I'll just take that week off. And, you know, I just couldn't do it. I, yeah. it's like I it's you've gone 625 episodes you got to do 626 right yeah hey I, I get it and good on you for for doing it but you know if you ever want to take a week off it's okay with me you more than deserve it at some time it's going to happen but yeah it hasn't happened yet I decided this is not the time so right. but anyway <laughs> so here so we we're are recording early yeah <laughs> yes yeah, so, so we are uh doing a feedback episode kind of revisiting some topics we've spoken about, answering some listener questions, that sort of thing, on More Power Users Today, which is the longer ad-free version of Mac Power Users. It comes out each and every week, the same time as the normal episode. Uh, We're going to be talking about the first month of Sparky Lab. So you've been full Mac Sparky in public, at least, for a month. And so we're going to kind of see how things are going. Okay. I I got things to share. Yeah, there's like a bullet point about RSS and then a bullet point about feelings. So that's good. You know, it's quintessential <laughs> David Sparks. <laughs> All right. Um, but something we have been hearing a lot about lately is uh, Dropbox. You know, yep. it's kind of the ongoing thing. Like, there was a time when Dropbox launched and we all loved Dropbox, right? And I, I, I at the point, I remember I was using SugarSync. I read about Dropbox. Oh, I got in early. You remember Sugar Sync? <laughs> yeah, dude, you uh, took me back. Yeah, I don't know if they're around anymore. But by the way, Dropbox, I mean, very quickly rose to the top of the pack as a service where you have a folder and you put stuff in it and it's in the cloud and you can pick it up anywhere else. Um, I think this was about the same time as iDrive or was iDrive gone by then? I don't remember. Um, yeah, iDisk. I disk. I disk. I disk. That's it. Yeah. And then, that they were they were contemporaries, I think. So I was using iDisk in college. I just had a power book. I, I wasn't using yeah. like a I didn't have two computers, let alone a office full of dead ones now. But yeah. I used iDisk just to like quote have a backup of some important files. And occasionally if I didn't have my power book with me, I could log on 
to like the dot Mac homepage and download it. But Dropbox yeah. came out towards the end of my time in college. I remember installing it and like kind of being blown away. It was like this magic folder. Yeah. And obviously they've grown a lot past that initial feature set, which is what, what has some people worried or upset. Yeah. Well, I mean, iDisk felt like it was running on a iMac G4 under Steve's desk. You know, it just didn't mm-hmm. feel like it was, had a lot of resources behind it. And, and Dropbox was the first one that really nailed that stuff. And so we had our honeymoon with Dropbox and, you know, I installed it. I went all in with it. I used it for years. Um, I know we still use it a lot at Relay, and I use it with some of the stuff I do and my other stuff. Um, But there has been a bit of a souring with Dropbox. And if you go back in history, there's a a well-reported meeting where the Dropbox founders met with Steve Jobs, and Steve tried to buy them, and they said, hey, we're not interested in selling. And he said it something to the extent of what you are selling is a – was it a service? Uh, He said – I just looked it up. He said – you're a feature, not a product. Yes. He said, you're a feature, not a product. So, and so you're not going to make it a go of it. And, and, you know, they told him politely, no, um, they walked away from a dump truck full of money and decided they could make a, you know, two dump trucks full of money. So they went out and did it, but then Dropbox started getting weird, right? They added, uh, the first thing I remember them adding was like a text service where they had like a text file or notes file. Um, they got, very aggressive about trying to grab your photos for you and just Dropbox started to turn into a lot more than just a folder that syncs files. Yeah. And some of that makes a lot of sense. They are have to grow. They need to grow into the enterprise market more because that's where the real money is. And so I don't begrudge them needing to uh, continue to, to grow and push those things. You know, I think it is, um, I think where sort of the stress comes is is when those things conflict with making a good consumer product. And that has definitely been the case sometimes. Like something like Dropbox Paper, which is that sort of like Google, very light Google Doc competitor. Like it's fine. And I, you know, I experimented with it. I think we tried using it for connected show notes for a while and just didn't pan out for us. But it doesn't really get in my way of like, I just need these folders to sync with my coworkers. But some of the stuff they've done with the Mac client in particular over the years and over the last couple of years specifically has, uh, has rubbed some people the wrong way as it, as it becomes more than just that magic folder. Like uh, an example that I ran into just the other day, I was setting up Microsoft office on a MacBook air uh, for one of my kids to do homework and stuff on. And Dropbox has like a, deep integration with office so you can kind of just save your documents and open them it's like yeah you could do all that with the magic folder and finder but it's sort of better integrated in office and i was like oh yeah i had totally forgotten that they had done that and it makes sense if you think about their business and where they need to go but maybe not everybody wants a little dropbox badge on all their word documents either yeah and then you add on to it just kind of the bloat that the Dropbox app has become, right? Because they want to put the little tags on the files. And so they're using, they're going deeper into the Mac operating system than frankly, I would like a third party vendor to do. Yeah. And then also, you know, the way they check for updates, it's very 
resource intensive, which is a silly thing to say from a guy who's running a MacBook Pro with Apple Silicon. I mean, I got resources to spare. You know, it's not a <laughs> right. problem, but it still bugs me at a certain level. Yeah, so Dropbox is a thing, and I've talked about it openly on the show, how like I started using iCloud, and now yeah. there's, a th- there's a thread in the MPU forums about some people finding out that iCloud is dropping files on them. And no. <laughs> now that's got me. So I'm running a whole like index now to see if I'm losing anything, but I'm not sure. And it's like, what do I do? Like I have iCloud where I guess Apple's got some issues and I've got Dropbox where it's super invasive. You know, what do I use for my cloud resource? And, you know, I guess what we, we should state is the underlying premise that Putting files, non, you know, secretive files into the cloud is really awesome, right? Because mm-hmm. it allow if you have two Macs, you can access them very easily. It's not like the old days where you had to like plug Macs into each other to share files. <laughs> I mean, that that was a thing. Go back, like early MPU, we did episodes on it. And um, and then there's the um like if you're on iPhone and iPad, you can access stuff on the cloud very easily. I mean, there's a lot of good things about having it, but do you want to do this to your Mac? You know, you put the Dropbox kind of bloatware on, or you go in with iCloud and, you know, apparently take some risks. Um, So it's a tough question, and I don't think we've got an obvious answer right now. Yeah, it would be one thing if iCloud Drive was, like, ready to go, and it supported all the features Dropbox does, and it was bulletproof, which it seems like that has gone, like on a scale from like bad to good. And maybe it's backing okay. the other way a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's okay. Now, it's but okay. Okay. is not good for cloud files because no. <laughs> that means you're losing something, yeah. right? Okay. It needs to be a hundred percent reliable and Apple just isn't there yet. They're getting better. They're making progress, but they're not there yet. And so in sort of my view, like um, I don't have sort of the angst, that some people have about Dropbox and the resources thing, like it's fine. Uh, I am using the Apple Silicon beta on my MacBook Pro. There's a link to that in the show notes. All right, now let me talk about that for a minute. Okay, okay. okay. Up until this week, Dropbox made it a secret as to whether they were going to support Apple Silicon. Because I think Dropbox is cranky with Apple because Apple is starting to crack down and saying, we don't want you going deep into the system with these three uh, third-party I mean, apps. Yes, but at the same time, a few years ago, macOS got a new file handler API that Dropbox uses. And now, I don't know the details of that. Maybe Dropbox is unhappy about that new sort of iteration of how they need to work. But at the very least, I think it could be fairly said there's probably friction between the companies. I mean, I remember when files launched on iOS and iPad OS and Dropbox just wasn't there for a while. And then their integration was really bad. And I guarantee you people at Dropbox blamed Apple and people at Apple blamed Dropbox. Yeah, I agree. And then Dropbox, why were they secretive that they were making an Apple Silicon? There was a blog post at one point in their forum where they're saying, well, we're looking for user feedback to decide whether this is worth doing. I'm like, it's the whole platform. Every Mac is going to be Apple Silicon. Are you just not going to adopt it? I mean, that that was, they kind of gave the impression that they just didn't care. And, um, but now they do have an Apple Silicon beta, so that's out. But I, I don't know why they were secretive about it. But either mm-hmm. way, and then, um, you know, I've been on this journey with this third-party app called Maestral. And um, M-A-E-S-T-R-A-L. It's an alternative Dropbox client. It uses the official Dropbox API. It's on GitHub. 
And uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. So this is like unwinding Dropbox to its, you know, bare core. It's a folder that syncs and it doesn't have really any of the other features. It runs on a very small footprint on your Mac. And I've been running it now for like three months. And how's it been? Have you run into issues or hiccups or missed files or anything like that? I have not lost any files. It's universal. It does have Apple Silicon, but I have this fear that it's not working. Like we did one of the automator shows. Rose had a problem because she's using it too with, with an upload. And now it's like whenever something uploads, I go and look at dropbox.com to see if it actually uploaded. I never worried about that when I had the Dropbox software installed. And, um, and TJ, you know, I, I guess the new drinking name on the show, um, <laughs> Uh, he, he wrote me to say that there's now currently an issue with Maestrol, uh, with the, uh, there's a GitHub issue, um, that with it indexing too much, it's indexing uh, yeah. too hard. And he said that, um, I don't know how, how much I can share, but apparently they, they believe it's a problem with the Dropbox API, but of course, what's Dropbox going to do to fix that? I mean, I, I don't really know this for certain, but apparently there are some issues with Maestrol too. Uh, but I have not experienced any of them. It's been running fine. All that said, I've been thinking way too much about how I'm syncing to Dropbox lately. And I'm really kind of at a crossroads where I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll just install the Dropbox Intel software and just stop, stop complaining. Or maybe I'll just uninstall everything and just use Dropbox as a uh, cloud service and just manually upload, <laughs> <laughs> which is dumb, but you know. I'm at a crossroads here, Stephen. Yeah, Federico uh, Vitici uses Dropbox basically as a website on his MacBook Pro, which is, yeah. is fine. You know, whatever floats your boat. For me, my workflow is still extremely Dropbox dependent, maybe even more so than ever, it feels like in some areas. And so I am uh, I have not played with, uh, with this third-party application. Dropbox app is fine. I don't, I don't feel as worked up about it as, uh, as others do, but I get it. Uh, I totally get it. And I hope that Apple continues to push their ball forward because what's best for Dropbox is competitors. And really it's like Dropbox. OneDrive is weird. That's something else that I installed. I, I should have done like a Microsoft section today's show notes. I'll save some of it for our next feedback episode, but yeah. OneDrive is like cool, but also kind of weird. There's box.com, which is mostly enterprise and you can use it as a consumer sometimes i have to log into box.com for like companies that need something from me or i'm getting something from them it's like oh i feel very grown up logging into this <laughs> like, i should be wearing a button-down shirt but hopefully apple can uh, become more competitive here because that's good for everybody yeah well i need dropbox for several of the things i do um, there's a part of me that's tempted to just move into Dropbox again, but I don't really feel all that inclined to do that either. I just went through the whole hassle of, you know, ID changes and things so I could get more iCloud storage. Yeah. Um, the, the, um, but what I do think is that, uh, I'm going to keep monitoring Maestrel until Dropbox's Apple Silicon version comes out of beta and see where I'm at at that point. I mean, I feel like I could go one of three ways at this point, and I honestly don't know which way I'm going to go. Um, if Maestrol figures out whatever problem they have or they can get that API repaired, uh, I'm inclined to stick with that because it gives me kind of 
enough of mm-hmm. uh, syncing. You know, I've got a folder on my Mac. I put stuff in there. It goes up to the cloud. Then, you know, you and Jim can get the files from the show. And and honestly, I don't use Dropbox for much other than uploading. I don't download from it too often anyway. So I think that would be great. Uh, but uh, I'm a little worried about it. I got to look into further, like, what this problem is that they're having. Um, I think the second most likely thing would be me just installing the Dropbox app and and getting over it like you have. Um, I think the least likely thing I would do is just have to go to the website every time and be moving stuff onto the web. That That's kind of nuts, too, you know. For sure. Okay. Well, there we are. I mean, are you anxious to get rid of Dropbox? No. Yeah. I don't think I am anymore either. I was for a while, but I think I'm over it. Yeah, I, I am too. If there was something, uh, if there was something out there that offered me more, but my workflow with all my coworkers is dependent on it. And so it's more than like just me changing an app. Like if I change my browser or my email client, that really only affects me. But if I were to say, Hey, I'm done with Dropbox. I'm going to iCloud drive. Like, that affects half a dozen people basically instantly, and I'm not in the position to do that. Yeah, and and honestly, iCloud doesn't have the feature set that Dropbox does, you know. And um, like the way, the many ways you can share files and have them expire, and there's a bunch of stuff you can do with Dropbox that that iCloud just hasn't got around to yet. Um, in a perfect world, you know, and when I get Tim Cook's job for a day, I would get this fixed and make you know iCloud just as good if not better than Dropbox. And then uh, I would love to not have to pay for two services that way. But I don't know. I'm not sure that's ever going to happen. Is it going to be a thing like everything else with Apple anymore where they uh, they make a basic service and if you want the pro features, you got to go to the third-party app and maybe that's just the role where Dropbox plays. Maybe. You know, we talked a lot about that in our recent Apps I Need Polishing episode. Yeah. And that is very much Apple's MO in a lot of in a lot of ways. And if that's what they want to do with this, that's fine because there are alternatives. But you know, like we spoke in that episode, there are definitely places in Apple's business that you and I and a lot of listeners wish they would push harder. Yeah. What I do wish Dropbox would do is number one is I they still do a great job syncing things. I mean, I remember the one of the first times I tried it, I had a Mac like on my computer desk and one on my main desk. And from the time it took me to push my chair from one desk to the other, the file showed up and I'm like, oh yeah, this is it, right? Yeah, that's a cool feeling. And um, I feel like Dropbox still nails that. And that's, you know, that's their core feature. But I do wish they would be a little more open with the Apple community, like this whole fiasco about whether or not they're going to make an Apple Silicon app is crazy. And maybe, what if they made like a skinny version of their client? Say, look, you can get the one with all the bells and whistles, or if you just want to sync folders, we've got an alternate app for you. And like, you know, make their version of Maestrel. Mm-hmm. I would love to see them do that. That would give me a lot more confidence in them. Or in the main app, I don't know if you could do this. If in the main app, you could just turn off a bunch of features and make it run leaner. It just doesn't seem to me like a cloud syncing app should take over your resources like that. Yeah, no, I, I get it. And you, maybe it's being on really high end hardware where I don't, I don't feel like I notice it. And I mean, look, I run plenty of things in my Mac that are, uh, over the top. I mean, I, I have a wallpaper app that changes my wallpaper to a new satellite image of the earth every 15 minutes, you know, like there you go, I got man. lots of stuff running. It's, it's okay. Yeah. 
That's called downlink, by the way. I'll preemptively answer the question. It's called downlink, and I'll put it in the show notes. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Go to SaneBox.com slash MPU today and stop drowning in email and get a $25 credit. SaneBox learns what email is important to you and filters out what isn't, saving you hours. It works with all kinds of email programs and services, and you don't have to have a special app. When I first tried out SaneBox years ago, I was immediately hooked. I signed up, and I've been a paying subscriber ever since. SaneBox supercharges whatever email platform and applications you use. It's got things like email filtering, so you can have it automatically filter your email for you. When things come in the inbox, if they aren't so important, they get put in the same later folder. Or if it's something that you don't want to deal with right now, you can snooze it and defer it to another day. I often do that with some of my personal stuff. I snooze it until Saturday. Then on Saturday, when I do my personal business, I go through it all. It also has same reminders where when you send an email to someone, you can carbon copy or blind copy it to some period of time at samebox.com. Like I usually use one week at samebox.com and then I'll send an email to someone. And if that person doesn't reply in a week, then samebox lets me know. It's just a great way to stay on top of things. And it's way more than filtering. You can add attachments from Dropbox or other cloud services. And the pricing plans start as low as $4 a month. Now, you can get a 14-day free trial. Just go to SaneBox.com slash MPU and sign up for it. And you get a $25 credit on any plan. Uh, The Mac Power Users audience loves SaneBox. They write us all the time and say, you know, how is it that your podcast does so well with our customers? Well, it's because people that listen to MPU get it. And they want to simplify their email and make it easier. And SaneBox does that. So this doesn't tie you to a specific application. It just adds a bunch of extra services to whatever email platform you want. I love it. I use it every day. So does Steven. To learn more, head over to SaneBox.com slash MPU and sign up. Thanks so much, SaneBox, for all of your support of the Mac Power users. All right. So we had uh, an email about a product that we have mentioned, but I don't know if we've we've gotten to like really get into deeply the Remarkable. And so Dustin wrote in talking about this. It is a e-ink tablet that you, comes where you can write on it and sketch and do these things, but it doesn't have like Twitter <laughs> and YouTube and, and those things on it. And I think you have some experience with this. So I'd love to just kind of like talk through this product. So I find it very interesting in a lot of ways, but I don't know where it would fit with what I do. Yeah, this is the product. And we mentioned this on a prior show that you know, I tried one and decided it wasn't for me. And I have taken a shellacking for that. <laughs> I'll tell you. If, I mean, products like this always have their super fans, I think. Yeah. Well, but let me explain it a little further because I did spend like, three weeks using it. Um, so, the, uh, so first of all, this product is like you said, it's e-ink with a pencil on it. It's got a nice coated surface with a texture. So when you write on it, it feels more like writing on paper than an iPad will ever feel. I mean, you know, it's like the, um, the glass versus the paper, you know, there's just a different feel to it. And, um, and it, the e-ink works very nice and it's only one color, obviously. And the, the product comes with an app suite built in. You don't like add new applications. There's no app store for it, but it's got basically an app to write notes 
And it's also got an app to read um, EPUB files and uh, you can do stuff with PDFs. And it's, you know, it's like a, um, it's like a traditional pad of paper with some extra features on it. They've got a cloud service, uh, which is now a pay per month cloud service. That's a new change for them. But you, uh, your files get uploaded to their cloud. They've got apps for the iPhone, iPad, and Mac. So like if you write something down, you open their app on your Mac, the file's right there. And the thing runs forever because it's mm. an e-ink device. I mean, it's like you get like a week out of a charge yeah. if you use it a lot. Yeah, because e-ink basically charges the screen and put basically puts the text or whatever on the screen. And it doesn't refresh again until it needs to. And yeah. I, I've noticed this because I've owned a series of Kindles over the years. It used to be that they would like hard refresh every other page turn or something. And even Amazon has gotten better at leaving like the e-ink up longer and being able to refresh it without a full cycle. It's a very different display tech than what we're used to talking about, say with an iPad or a laptop. Yeah. And it has a smaller processor and it, it's, you know, just the battery drain on it is very small. And the, one of the things I love most about it is the size. It is lighter than an iPad. It's thinner, like on the magnitude, it feels like half the thick of an thickness of an iPad. And like lifting it up is like nothing, you know, it really does have about the weight of a yellow pad, you know, hmm. of paper. So it's really great for that. And the pencil writing experience is very nice on it. Although it is, um, it's really meant to be used on a one-to-one basis. Like a lot of the iPad apps, like you can write big and it shows up small, you know, like good notes has that feature where it gives you like the, the pen entry line. Mm-hmm. Are you good notes user? You ever do that? Uh, I fiddle with it some. Yeah. So you, it like opens up a box so you can print large, but it shows up small on the page or yeah. you can just use your fingers to, to zoom in and draw and then zoom it back down. That while that is kind of possible on a remarkable, that processor is not up to it. You know, it's like, you know, one frame per second or something when you're doing that. So you really don't know what's going on, but just the, the, the basic process of writing on it is very simple. And I think that's the reason why so many listeners love it because, you know, you open it up and it doesn't, you know, show you your email or anything. It's literally a digital writing pad. The pencil magnetically clips to the side. They've got some nice cases and you can just take the pencil out and start writing. Like one of the listeners that wrote me about it is a designer and he keeps it on his desk and he's like, I just sketch out ideas and thoughts on it, you know, and then I save them because they're digital. Whereas before he was doing it on paper and there had to be a separate scanning process. And I think a lot of people like it for the quickness of that. And I really think the underlying premise on this product is it replaces a pad of paper. It does not replace an iPad. I think that's the thing I didn't really get till I started using it. It's just so like fundamentally different than than something like an iPad. And I think even though they're e-ink, I don't think that's the reason, but I think the reason something like this is attractive to people is the same reason something like a Kindle is attractive to somebody where it can do several things, but it's not, you're not one tap away from social media or yeah. the the wide open internet or something like that. And, and so I get it. Um, you know, I don't think I have a, a place where this work would work in my workflow, but I've always been interested in products like this because like e-ink, you think of e-reading 
But yeah, what if we did use that and like did something else interesting with it? I always like products that sort of push on those things. And I would imagine that if you have one of these, you know, that and it, and it really works for you, it probably works for you in a way that maybe other products like don't or can't. Yeah. And so there were a couple of things I, so I bought one and quickly said, Oh, this really isn't for me. And I sent it back. They have a very generous return policy. No questions asked, which was, this is a good, if you're listening and you're curious, you may want to try one. And then I said on the show what happened. And that's when the shellacking happened. I got like a lot of email from listeners who are like, dude, you totally missed the point. This thing's amazing. And uh, I got so many emails. I'm like, well, maybe I didn't give it a fair shake. So I bought it again <laughs> and, and, uh, and I used it for three weeks and I really tried to like get my head around it. And, uh, I, I do get it better after the second try. Cause the first try was not very long. It was like a day or two. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to like mess this thing up. I'm going to send it back to him. Um, the, you know, because it just didn't feel like it was mm-hmm. giving me anything that I didn't already have with the iPad. Yeah. But no, I, I, what's nice is like you get phone calls, you just pick it up, you start writing notes down, you know, um, what I wanted to do with it was try and turn it into a journaling device where I could sit and journal on it, but getting that journal entry into day one was difficult. Um, day one has a process where you can send an email to a, a file, to a magic email address and gets added, but the, uh, the file, the, the graphics format they use on these things wasn't importing to day one. And then I was thinking, well, I'll save it to the app and then take a screenshot out. And the thing I, the thing that really kind of killed it for me was the inability to zoom in and have the writing look better Hmm. and the, um, the pixelation. I mean, because it's e-ink, the writing is not sharp, you know? And if you look at all the like demo versions of it, people write big on it. Like the the listener who is a designer draws pictures on it, you know. And I, I think that that it's better for that. Like if you wanted to like write a journal entry, you'd have to write really large letters on it to for it to look right. Yeah. And and I just kind of decided, you know what, GoodNotes does that already for me. And then the price. I mean, it was like I think with a case, it's like six hundred dollars. So I'm like, <laughs> you know, that's iPad money. Yeah, exactly. That's and, nice iPad money. Yeah. And I had bought an iPad mini and I'm like, you know, I'm, I can't keep both of these things. And the, um, so I used it for three weeks. I got a much better idea for it. And I think it is a cool piece of technology. The things that really stood out for me was the kind of the instant on stuff, the battery life, and really the thinness and lightness. I want an iPad this size to be that light, you know, uh, usually I'm not a big, you know, person proponent of saying Apple needs to make everything thinner and lighter, but I think a big iPad that gets this light would be pretty awesome. But it just really, it, it, it wasn't going to justify it. And I knew that like, if I go on a trip, I'm not going to bring two tablets. And if I'm going to bring one tablet, it's not going to be this one. The other thing is I just don't, you know, I was talking to my kids about this because they like are one of them is going through really she's in a master's program. She's really busy and she's like, oh, yeah, I, I deleted Twitter and Instagram and stuff. I just need to like focus. And I'm like, that's just never been a problem for me. You know, I don't social media apps don't draw me out. So like I actually, you know, because I want to engage with social media, I have to like remind myself to do it. It's not something where like. I'm in line at the grocery store and I'm on social media. I just don't, I just, my brain just isn't wired that way. So I don't need the, the restriction. Uh, so remarkable, 
I sent back, I never did the like, do you know who I am kind of thing? Give send me a demo. I just bought it. And then I bought it again and I sent it back again. And there were no complaints from Remarkable. I think they're onto something. And I like that this product exists. It's just not for me. And if you're out there and you love yours, I totally get it. But I just don't want another thing. Maybe if it was $100, I would have kept it. I don't know. But the um, it was a lot of money. And I didn't feel like I was going to use it enough to justify the purchase. But um, if this is interesting to you, um, it is, it's very different from an iPad. If you're somebody who writes constantly on pads of paper and you're trying to figure out where they went, this is a nice replacement because it's digital. Everything gets backed up and you can save the files. And there, there's a lot of good stuff for it. But but ultimately, to me, I view it as more of a replacement for a pad of paper than a replacement for an iPad. This episode of MPU is made possible by Memberful. Memberful is the easiest way to get started selling memberships to your audience. And it's used by some of the biggest creators on the web. Look, David and I both use Memberful, and I've used it for a really long time at Relay FM. It lets us generate sustainable, recurring income while also diversifying a revenue stream away from just advertising. The membership program has been an incredible gift to Relay FM during the two years of the pandemic. We had a lot of instability in our ad business. Some of that continues today. But having Memberful by our sides, giving us really great tools to sell and manage memberships has been life-saving. Your business probably had changes in its financial situation over the last couple of years. And now you need a proven solution that's quick to launch so you can stabilize your business and start growing again. Memberful handles the hard stuff so you can focus on what you do best while earning revenue quickly. While leaving you with full control and ownership over everything that relates to your audience, your brand, and your membership. They have everything you need, optimized checkouts, Apple Pay support, easy member management, dashboard analytics, free trials, gift subscriptions, this awesome new posts tool so you don't have to use an external email service, plus lots of integrations, WordPress, MailChimp, Discord, and more. So get started for free at memberful.com slash MPU. There's no credit card required. That's memberful.com slash MPU. Go there now to check it out and see what it could do for your business. Our thanks to Memberful for their support of the show and Relay FM. All right, Stephen, we have been getting a lot of email lately from listeners about photos backup. Like, what are we doing? What are the best practices? And I thought maybe we should just dig in on this uh, in a feedback show. Yeah, it's a complicated, uh, complicated subject. <laughs> uh, there's yeah. a lot to it and a lot of moving parts. And so... Uh, this, um, how your photos are backed up and where they're actually stored. Kind of the first big branch on the decision tree is, are you using iCloud photos? So this is a service that comes with iCloud where it will sync your photos and their edits and metadata and albums, the whole, your whole photo library it will sync it between your devices and also to the iCloud website. So you can log in and deal with your photos there. It's free with iCloud, but most people, almost everybody, has more photos than the five gigabyte free limit on iCloud, which we have railed against in the past and will continue to do so until Apple changes it. It's a ridiculous amount. We should, for 
now on any time we talk about the five gigabyte limit, we should like play a sad trombone or something. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Because it's just like, how many years have we had this conversation? Yeah. It's, you know? Well, like coming up on 10. Yeah. Well, I, the iPhone I bought last year was over $1,000, but I still only get five gigabytes of storage. You know, I got to pay. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's, it's a bummer. Tim, I know you're listening. Next time you call me, let's let's put this on the agenda. Yeah. Let's talk Tim, about it. Tim, get off the treadmill, go to your yeah. iPad and email ADQ and say, yeah. give it people for free. So if you're using iCloud Photo, which you and I both recommend, I think it's well worth the expense each month if you can afford yeah. it because the features really are great. It's dumb that you have to pay for it, but it, you should pay for it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Each of your devices has a toggle where you can say, on this device, store all of my images locally. So if you turn that on, your device that you're in front of, that will download all of your photos for offline use. So you have your full-size photos when you're in airplane mode, on, you know, on a plane with your iPad, you can swipe through them. They're all on your device. And this is the this is the key problem for so many people, right? Because yeah. um, when you get iCloud Photos, Apple is backing it up in the cloud. And um, to my knowledge, I've been using it since it started. I've never lost a photo from their cloud service. Like they've never dropped the ball and like deleted a bunch of my pictures. But usually, by default, when you install, the, you know, when you open up Photos, it does the it doesn't do the local storage. It does the cloud storage or what they call optimized storage. Right. And what that, what, what that'll do is take up some amount of space on your device, but Apple promises, pinky promise, they're not going to fill your device up, but you don't have really how much control over how large that cache is. So say that you have a hundred gigabytes free on your MacBook air and you have optimized storage take on turned on Apple will use some amount of that to download photos locally that you've recently used or recently edited things like that you still have access to them all you have all the thumbnails locally but what you may see is you double click on a thumbnail and you get a little spinner for a second when it downloads the full res version and to photos credit the applications do a really good job at making that as seamless as possible but the difference here is all images locally means all my photos, the whole, my whole library is on my disk, right? If my computer never sees the internet again, I have all my photos on it. Optimized storage means you are tethered to iCloud to get those full res images whenever you need them. And now if you're listening to this and you're saying, hey, I don't know whether I'm using optimized storage or downloading locally, I'm guessing you probably have optimized storage because that seems to be the default. They, you know, they don't want your photos filling up your drive. And this is the reason why I think we get so much email on this because people like back up their Mac and they go look at their photos file and all their photos aren't in it. And they're like, Hey man, what the heck? Right. Or it's like, it's like 10 gigs in size when it should be way bigger. Yeah. They have a hundred gigs in photos and there's a 10 gigabyte photo library and they don't understand what happened. And it all comes down to that one setting. So you, if you have a Mac that has the available storage to download all, you should download all. I mean, for me, my, uh, you know, I really only have one Mac at this point, but I got one with a big drive and that button always goes to me to download local. And once you get all your photos on your drive, 
then the world is your oyster in terms of backups. That's right. Because if they're all on your, you know, you the SSD inside your Mac, then Mac OS just sees them as files. And so that means you can back them up to Time Machine, to Backblaze, you know, insert your favorite backup strategy here. If you have optimized storage turned on on your Mac, Time Machine, Backblaze, etc., are only seeing what Photos has decided to download in any given moment. So hopefully that clarifies the difference. Everything in Photos comes down to this checkbox. And you can mix and match. This is really important. It may be that, you know, say you've got an iMac at home, you can store all images locally there, but maybe you don't have room on your iPhone or your iPad where the iPhone iPad can be set for optimized storage. You know, not all the devices have to, to act the same way. What we're saying is, though, if at all possible, have all of your images synced locally on a Mac so all of those files can be part of your backup strategy. So what do you do if you only have a MacBook Air with 500 gigabytes and there's not enough space to download all your photos? But you want to download all your photos. Yeah, if you want to download them all, uh, you can actually move the photo library, like where the photos application sees as its home. You can move that to an external drive. Obviously, this comes with some complication because now your photo library is an external drive. And so if you want to work on your photos at the library, you got to take that drive with you. This is how I ran my wife's MacBook Air for years. Uh, for a long time, she was on, a, I think, a one terabyte MacBook Air, maybe a 512 gig MacBook Air. At the time, it was like one of the bigger disk spaces I could get. And her photo library grew over time. We got three kids. It grows exponentially. It feels like some years. And she just ran out of space. And so I got an external SSD. Um, I did this procedure, and there's a link in the show notes. You should follow the procedure if you want to do this. Don't do it blindly. Follow the directions. Uh, but it works really, really well. Uh, again, as long as you have that drive attached when you go to open the Photos application. Yeah, and if you can swing the cost, I would recommend doing it on an SSD as yes. opposed to a spinning drive. Absolutely. Something like the Samsung T7. You know, I think you and I both have experience with those. I've been really happy. I've got I've got several floating around. They've really come down, uh, come down in price. I mean, you can do a terabyte for like $115, you know, these things are also often on sale. So keep your eye out, but it makes a big difference because this, this, these photo libraries, you know, they have big files. They're always doing stuff to those files. Uh, I think a SSD is the way to go if you can swing it. Yeah. And if you've got like an iMac, it's really a no brainer because you're not going to be carrying your iMac around if you've got a laptop <laughs> and you're doing it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't, I still, you know, I haven't done it yet, but I, someday I want to walk into Starbucks and see a guy in there with an iMac. I know oh, that yeah. happens, but I've just never experienced it personally. Oh, that'd be awesome. I hope you, I hope you send me a picture immediately. If I do, I'm going to give him a Mac power user sticker because <laughs> I mean, he deserves it. Yeah. But the, um, but I, um, but if you have a laptop, the thing I would recommend, and this is, um, this is just my general practice. If you, if you're running a photos library on external drive, I would what I would say to someone like your wife is like, okay, do photos when you are at home with this plugged in. Yes. And then when you're done, turn off photos, quit the app, and don't open the app again until you're back mm -hmm. home with this plugged in. Because it's when you open photos without 
the external library plugged in that the madness starts because it'll make its own library locally. And all of a sudden you don't know where your photos are. It's yeah. It's just, you've got to kind of bring discipline to the game if you're going to do the external drive, but mm-hmm. you can do it. But, but also this is why I spend too much money every time I buy a Mac to get as much storage as I can afford, because I just don't want to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm the same way. You know, my Mac pro now has an, uh, it's got like 24 terabytes of storage inside of it or something like, I get it. <laughs> I totally do. And I mean, thankfully, Apple's pricing on that has come down a bit. I mean, when I bought my wife's MacBook Air, that machine that I, I really just replaced with an M1 not that long ago, it was really expensive to step up to the high end. And I mean, if you go to like four terabytes or eight terabytes, you're still paying out the nose. But yeah. to go from 512 to a terabyte on a machine that you're going to keep for five or six years, it, it really is a, uh, a good investment if you can swing it and you can't really do it after the fact. So nope. you got to spend the money up front. Uh, once you, another thing that is a benefit of having them locally is not only can you back up that drive, like, so my internal drive has the photos library on it, all of my backups, and I've got a bunch of them are getting the full photos library treatment. But also, you know, every three or four months I run um, an export function out of photos um, photos has the ability to export all your images just as an image files into folders. You can even put it in subfolders if you want. And then that's just not, that's not a photos library. That's just a, a folder full of your pictures. And then I put that on Dropbox, you know, the, the underlying theme of today's show, apparently, but <laughs> I have this storage in Dropbox. I might as well use it. So I just yeah. took them all on Dropbox. And that's just like one more place that I've got them backed up. And I don't store it locally because I've already got it everywhere else. I certainly feel this way. and think you do too. I think a lot of people do. If I think about conceptually what's on my Mac and, you know, in a world where, you know, the building's on fire, I need to get like one thing off my computer is my photos. Like everything else on my Mac, I can either replace or truthfully I could do without. Like, yeah, I'd be super sad to lose my like however many hundreds of gigabytes it is. Devon think library of tech history. Yeah. But I, but I can rebuild that over years. I can't rebuild my family growing up. And, uh, and so that, you know, these photos, one reason we talk about this, I think one reason people really want to make sure they get it right. is just like, this is the one thing you can't recreate on your computer. Well, I, I've told the story on the show before and, and you were a former genius. So you probably got worse stories, but I was at the genius bar and the woman next to me was just like, just like ugly crying, you know, at the genius bar, like, you know, like, like somebody had died kind of crying. And, yeah. and, you know, I asked what's going on. And he's, he's like, well, she had all her um, sorority pictures, you know, her college Mac, the drive field. Mm-hmm. And there's like nothing we can do. So like she lost basically her whole, her whole college experience photos because she never bothered to back them. But this was before iCloud photos. This was several years ago, but that man, that, that stuck with me. And yeah. that's the reason why whenever it comes up on the blog or the podcast, I always try and hammer it home that, man, guys, find a way to get the picture. Pay the $3 a month or whatever to Apple and and buy a $100 backup drive and stick it in the closet or whatever. You don't want to be that person that just lost you know, your entire college experience because a drive failed. Mm-mm. Nope. No, you don't. Okay, what about someone who's just going to opt out of iCloud, you know, and yeah. just say, I don't want to do that? 
Yeah, if you if you don't use iCloud Photo Library, uh, you you still have some options. So you can run the Photos application on your Mac, and you can import photos from SD cards or from Finder. Uh, that's all um, acts like normal. And and of course, because there's no cloud syncing, all of those will be local on your device. You can back them up. And you can bring in photos from your iPhone and your iPad. You can airdrop them in. You can plug your phone in to import them. And anything on your phone that you want to view, you can sync from Finder or from iTunes if you're on an old version of macOS. You can sync photos to and from your your iOS devices, kind of the way we used to before iCloud Photo Library showed up. So still lots of options. In some ways, that is simpler. But man, I can't tell you how much I love the ability to have my entire photo library on an iPad, right? Like maybe your kids do this. I know they're they're older than mine, but my kids, they're all, uh, well, I got elementary school and two middle schoolers now. They very often want to see pictures from like when they were little, like, and dude, it's so great to be able to do a quick search and airplay it to the TV and like just flip through photos from a family trip we took five years ago. I don't have to like go get my Mac out and, you know, because because iCloud Photo Library gives me all of that stuff everywhere, and uh, I really like that. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, when your kids in their twenties, they still want to do it. Like, <laughs> sometimes we're sitting around. My my daughter will say, "Dad, can I have your phone?" And I'm like, "Why?" And she's like, I just want to look through your pictures, and th- because my library has more than hers does, you know, from her childhood. And um, recently, I was doing some drive cleanup. I got my uh, good news, man. I got my entire profile down to like four terabytes plus a little extra plus a little extra for some of the weird stuff but either way i took a bunch of because i had made a bunch of iMovie movies when the kids were little remember trailers trailers were so awesome oh yeah um but anyway so I, i made a bunch of those movies and i had them as like freestanding files because this all was generated before icloud photos existed and so i imported all that into the photos library so now, like, a regular thing we do in our house is sit in front of the Apple TV and stream all those old movies to the TV. It's so mm-hmm. fun. Um, but either way, I, uh, I think iCloud Photos is awesome. I, I remember, like, the three or four or five years leading up to iCloud Photos where there was, like, the photo service of the month. Remember, it's like every, somebody would come up with oh, a yeah. service to store your photos, and then they would go out of business, and there would be another one. And everybody was saying, we just need Apple to solve this problem. And I feel like they largely did. Yeah, we talked about that in the early days of Connected, my other podcast. We covered a lot of those. And some of them had really good features that even iCloud hasn't really replicated. But the entire like ecosystem boiled down basically to Apple Photos and or iCloud Photos and Google Photos, which is like a whole different beast. And all these independent ones are all basically gone because it's a hard business. And I think probably a very expensive one to run because of the storage needed. And, you know, that's probably one reason Apple justifies charging what it does for iCloud storage. Yeah. Yeah. But if you haven't got on board yet, I can't imagine many of our listeners aren't already on board. Um, I, I recommend it heartily. And I also, like I said, at the top of this segment, recommend buy as much storage as you need. And I know mm-hmm. that sucks, but buy it because 
you don't ever want to be that person, right? And uh, and having everything backed up to the cloud plus having it locally. And if you back up that local backup, you're good. You know, you're fine. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com MPU and make your next move. Enter that offer code of MPU at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they've got you covered. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and make your ideas a reality. Squarespace has everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website. You start with a professionally designed template and use drag-and-drop tools to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, and more with just a few clicks, and all Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile. Your content automatically adjusts so it will look great on any device. You'll also get free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There's nothing to patch or upgrade. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They'll even let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. Plus, you'll have everything you need for SEO and email marketing to get your ideas out there. You can use Squarespace to turn your big idea into a new website, showcase your work with incredible portfolio designs, publish your next blog post, promote your business, announce an upcoming event, and much more. I use Squarespace for years with MaxBarkey.com. I still use it with some of our personal and smaller websites. I just feel like with Squarespace, there's nothing better in terms of bang for your buck. You get so much power for so little cost, and it's really easy to use. Anybody can do it. So head to squarespace.com MPU for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain that's squarespace.com slash MPU. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for the Mac power users. And finally, I want to thank Squarespace for their support of the Mac power users and all of relay FM. All right. The next little section of our outline here, all it says is, Dave's going a little nuts with his calendar. So what what's happening here? You you're already like a big big believer in calendar. I know you do your block scheduling and everything. So how has that gotten how has that gone more wild? How could I go deeper? Yeah. Is that what you're asking me? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think I'm gonna do a webinar on this at some point if people want it. But I I did a segment with the the labs members about this and like shared my calendar and they all looked at me like I was nuts, but I think some of them get it. Um, so with this big changes in my life, I have got a different calendaring needs than I ever had before. And like, I have a production schedule of like, when is certain content going to get released and get prepared and things like that. And I've got like some team members now that need to see what I'm working on so they can plan their days accordingly so it all started with me just trying to get more intentional on that. And I've always been somebody who had a lot of calendars. Like I had a legal calendar and a Max Sparky calendar and a personal calendar. And like, we've got a group of friends that we go to Disneyland with. That's the Disneyland kind of crew calendar. And so I've got these different calendars and I like the ability to slice and dice it. But with the emergence of the Max Sparky Labs and just all the stuff I'm doing, I've taken it to a whole new level. 
now I am sending you a text message with a picture of my calendar list. Oh, dude. <laughs> they didn't even fit. <laughs> I mean, eyeballing this, this is like two dozen calendars at least. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a lot of calendars, man. Okay, let me let me try and explain myself, right? <laughs> so I have all this stuff going on. And um, I've always, like like I said, I've always kind of narrowed the calendars down. Like, we have a calendar for each one of the kids, and we have one for the family. So, like, personal calendars are, like, four or five calendars. Um, and then I started looking at what I'm doing as Max Sparky, and it's not just, like, one calendar anymore. Because I have podcast calendars, because I have shared calendars with you, Steve, and, and uh, Rosemary and, and Mike. And then I've got, like webinars i'm planning i'm doing newsletters i've got the whole like three tiers of the max barkey labs and i'm doing more youtube work now and i wanted to be able to look at my calendar and figure out where i'm spending my time so i just started making calendars for every area of my life and not just max barkey but all the elements of what i do as max barkey this is what happens when i go all in on one thing you know mm-hmm. i go a little crazy and I really liked having the ability to do that. And Fantastical has this feature called calendar sets. And I know other calendar apps have this too, but you can say, okay, give me all the personal calendars or give me the ones for the podcast or whatever. And you push a button and it just gives you those calendars. So that's a very useful feature to me. And then I wanted to be able to do more planning in the calendar as well. And when this show comes out, we are going to be just days before Fantastic Hour releases an update with a feature that I am going to take full credit for. Fantastic Hour is adding, <laughs> because I have been bugging Michael at Fantastic Hour about this for years. And I think he finally just put this in the app. So I would stop bugging him. But they have a quarterly view now. And so, you know, most calendar apps have daily, monthly, yearly. I just wanted a quarterly view where I could see the next three months because uh-huh. I, I work in quarters. And uh, so he, they added it. And like I said, I'm taking full credit for this because, man, I, there are so many text messages from me to him about when are you going to add quarterly, you know. Uh, so but I wanted in quarterly view to see things, too. And I wanted to see the the production schedule without the weeds of the day to day stuff. Like if I'm working on a YouTube video. I may have a three-hour block to do that YouTube video, but I also have a day that I plan to record it and day that I plan to release it. What if I just wanted to see the day I plan to record it and day I plan to release it without seeing what time I'm working on it? And in a quarterly view, that would be be really nice, you know, because all day events show up as these blocks. So for every area of my life, I added a planning calendar, which only holds all day blocks. So as an using the YouTube as an example. I may have a day that I plan to record it, but that day I will also have an all-day block on the on the YouTube planning calendar saying record that video. Sure. Then when I go into the quarterly view and I show it as a planning mode, and I don't want to put this one on the internet, but I'm going to show it to you anyway just so you can kind of get an idea for it. So now I just sent you my, my quarterly view. This is cool. Having the time removed like gives you the ability, I guess, to see the big picture and where things are without having to to get too deep into it. Yeah, so I created all these events as planning events that are all day events. They're not like 
they don't have a time. And I have a calendar view that just shows me all of those all day events. And when you put it in quarterly view, you can see exactly what you're doing over the next three months and, you know, what the big days are for things that you need to work on. Uh, so that's what I've been working on is figuring out a way to put all this together in a way that I can slice and dice it, which is why I have so many calendars, but also a way to easily view it. So I've written a bunch of keyboard maestro scripts that will open up Fantastical, set the, you know, the view to where I want it. And in Fantastical, it's a keyboard shortcut. Command one is day, two is week, three is month, four is quarter, and five is year. Uh, so you can just open it in Keyboard Maestro, set the screen size, and hit the appropriate button. And then the calendar sets, um, you get the same way, but with Control plus one, two, three, four, five. So whatever sets you have, uh, the Control button plus the appropriate number hits it. So I, it's a very easy little Keyboard Maestro script to open, set these up, and then open up a Fantastical on one side of the screen and Obsidian or OmniFocus on the other side to all the planning stuff I need to access and I'm easily able to jump around between these views. But the, but the underlying thing to get there was to break calendar events up into many pieces. So I had to have all these calendars. It's a lot of stuff. I, I, do, I do like the, the overview ability, though. I think that's something that I do a little bit of. I also use, all, I use a lot of all-day events to like, uh, like publish this show or publish that show the newsletter needs to go out this day. They're also in my task manager, but I like being able to see when I'm scheduling other stuff, hey, this is also due today. And and then you very quickly fall down the rabbit hole of like, what's a task and what's an event? But it seems like you've broken this down in small enough pieces where you can really control what you see when you're in a certain sort of mindset or a certain type of work. Yeah, getting it to the all-day events was a big jump for me that like really helped me with the planning piece of it. Cause when I open the planning calendar, I see all of this stuff. And, um, at one point I had asked the gang at fantastical, I said, can you add a feature that says, if I have an event on this day to record YouTube from three to six, can I have it also create an all day event in addition that says YouTube recording? And their response was, you are insane. Nobody would want that feature, <laughs> which, which kind of made sense, honestly, because then when I got thinking about it, using a separate planning calendar for YouTube is way better because mm-hmm. then I can display it in this way without having all the clutter of the time entries. So, um, you know, in that case, the, um, the limitation actually led to inspiration. And I, I think I like it better with having separate calendars, but but, you know, the long and the short of it is, so for the various areas of my life, I have calendars where I actually plan events to work on them, but I also have a separate calendar called planning, and I've color-coded everything. So when I look at it on the calendar, I know what, what's going on. Like, for me, labs is purple, uh, Max Barkey blog is blue, podcasts are green. And so when I see the big layout calendar, I can look at the colors and know what's going on by day, and... um you know, I've kind of been developing this over the last month as I've been launching all this other stuff. So I haven't got it fully like wired down yet, mm-hmm. but I am going to get this wired down. And at some point I'm going to share it more completely with the audience. I, don't, I think I'll do a webinar or something on it, but um, right now I'm still kind of figuring out the best workflows for it, but I feel like I've made progress on calendars. And if you look at it, it sounds crazy, but I think it actually really is helpful. 
One thing you touched on that it has definitely been a, a bigger part of the way I sort of divide my working time is the use of color. And so I, I just have one work calendar. I sent you a screenshot of my calendars. Far fewer than you, my friend. I just have one work calendar. But I, in Todoist, which is my task manager, and in Timery, where I track my time, I have gone through and like color matched those things. So like all my podcasts are green. All of relay admin stuff is blue. You know, five yeah. pixels, of course is orange. And that has helped me sort of, as I just, am like looking at my task, my time tracking to kind of, okay, like I just know what color, what the colors mean. And so I think if I were to experiment with this calendar system that you've got, I think the color would just carry over for me. And it's a very like subtle thing, but I find it actually really useful when I'm looking at something, I can just glance and kind of know what area it falls in. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I'm still like, that's another thing I'm still nailing down is the colors because I'm literally running out of colors. I've got to like figure it out. Like, <laughs> maybe I need different shades of blue. I don't know. But the, um, but the, the, the another couple pieces of this is I am sharing um, a lot of these calendars with people that are helping me out. Like um, the JF, the guy who helps me with a lot of the post-production, I'm sharing a bunch of stuff with him. Uh, Leilani, who helps me with like a lot of stuff on the blog. I share a lot of the blog production stuff with her. And uh, I had initially tried this, like, cause we have a base camp for like team Max Barkey, but like managing it on the base camp calendar was a pain in the neck. Cause you got to go into their web app and like push a bunch of buttons and stuff and things move around. And I wanted it just to be in my calendar anyway. Um, so I decided to use iCloud as the backbone for all of this. And we've only been really doing this intensely for a month now, but it seems to be working okay. One problem is like for the labs members, I have custom public calendars for the backstage and early access labs members so they can see upcoming events. And a couple people, not very many, but a couple are writing me saying they're having trouble getting that link to work, the public link from iCloud. Hmm. And I've got to look into, do I need to go to Google or some other service to to publish those calendars? I'd like. Yeah. Is that the answer? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. A yeah. Google, their public links work really well. So I did a virtual version of my hardware calendar where you can see, um, you can see what is uh, like on the certain dates. And, yeah. and I did that on Google and it's been flawless and there's like a bunch of people using it we do the same thing for the the relay live schedule for shows that record live with the discord as an audience and that's been a google calendar for like eight years and it has been rock solid and you can yeah. hook that up into fantastical so it could still fit into your workflow which is kind of like the output of it is a different place well i think that um that that by the time the show publishes i will be uh <laughs> I'll be doing that then, <laughs> but the, uh, but so I, I'm figuring it out, but the big thing is just for me getting my work done, having these multiple calendars has been really good. Um, I know, you know, most people are like you, they have a work calendar and a personal calendar. I would suggest trying to break that up further and yeah. see if that helps you, especially if you're using an app that provides access for calendar sets, like, the basic calendar app doesn't, you'd have to go and click the boxes, which would be madness. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason I just have one work calendar is that I share that it's an iCloud calendar. I share it with my wife and yeah. 
that was more important when she was home before she went back to work a couple of years ago. But she, it, it, it was good. Like she knew when I was recording, you know, keep the dog inside, you know, don't, don't come barging into the studio with a baby, that sort of thing. Um, and so now that need is a lot less. Very rarely does my dude, I have a work event that she would need to know about the leases like during her working hours. So yeah, I think I have the opportunity. So I may, I may fiddle with this. Yeah. Yeah. I think I can, we'll put up a screenshot of the, uh, my calendar list. I may need to make an edit before it goes up, but, but I don't, I don't want to share the quarterly stuff cause there's just too much stuff in there right now. But the, um, but the, uh, I have it on good authority from fantastic Hal that the, the new edition with the quarterly support will ship in early to mid February. And I, uh, I encourage you if you are a fantastic Al user to give quarterly view a try, let them know you love it. So they, they're like, Oh yeah, that guy had a good idea. Um, <laughs> David said, but me. the, yeah, but the, uh, but I do think that, you know, putting, and then like the next level for me was the planning calendars with the all day event stuff. And, I did it as an experiment and like immediately, like within an hour of turning it on, I'm like, oh yeah, this is staying. I'm going to be using this. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. So you have a whole fleet of Apple devices that you're managing. They used to be arranged neatly, carried to and from an office predictably, handed directly to new team members on their first day and used precisely for work and always securely connected to the office network. Well, hey y'all, times have changed. They're now strewn across the land. Your company's iPads, iPhones, and Macs are out there connecting to dodgy Wi-Fi, being left behind on flights, moonlighting as a child's toy in playrooms turned work-from-home offices. What could go wrong? Well, thanks to Electric, you don't have to worry about what could be going wrong because Electric gives you fully supported device management for your Apple products. Electric device management automates device provisioning and setup, remotely enforces security and compliance across your fleet, and gives you visibility into your device inventory and health at all times. Electric uses the world's leading mobile device management providers and tops it off with world-class IT support. Fully managed devices. That's the game that you're going to be in with Electric. And they have over 100 IT specialists ready to field your team's requests. Stop stressing over scattered devices. Head on over to electric.ai slash MPU to get started. That's E-L-E-C-T-R-I-C, electric.ai slash MPU. And just for taking a qualified meeting with their team, they're going to give you a pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones. That's electric.ai slash MPU. Get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones today when you take a meeting with the team at Electric. Our thanks to Electric for their support of the show and Relay FM. Steven, what are you playing with these days? I got a couple of things. Uh, they're They're really related. So we are in the planning stages of a stream deck episode spoilers i guess uh but i've been really trying to push this thing uh, as hard as i can and when shortcuts for mac was introduced at wbc last year i thought oh gosh like i have a a button on a stream deck for a shortcut and there were a couple ways to do that but now there is like a more kind of 
polished way. There's actually a plugin uh, by somebody that lets you pick from your list of shortcuts and then you can kind of do what you want uh, with them in the Stream Deck software. And so I've got, I've moved several of my shortcuts out of the Mac menu bar item uh, into just the Stream Deck. And it really is, uh, really is pretty nice. And so intermixed with my other Stream Deck stuff, which are mostly, my Stream Deck use falls in like HomeKit, uh, Keyboard Maestro, or Shortcuts. And the Shortcuts one just live intermingled with the others. It's really nice. Yeah. No, that that's a really good um, uh, plugin. I feel like that the Stream Deck and Shortcuts is only going to get better with time. Yeah, and we're already seeing it. You know, like you know, there, there's already plugins showing that run Shortcuts from Keyboard Maestro. I mean, Shortcuts is integrating with the Mac operating system, and Shortcuts is getting better. I mean, there's still problems with it. I still run into issues um, where you know features just really aren't working yet on the Mac, but it's getting better. And I feel like this is a very temporary story about shortcuts, not being fully baked. I feel like once they get it sorted out, it's going to be a much bigger deal on the Mac than, than automator ever was. Yeah. I think most of my complaints about it now are actually UI, not feature set. I mean, there's always more to do, right. But yeah. I don't feel like the house is on fire. Like it was maybe before. Yeah. Um, so one of the, the big things that I have really, gotten myself into is this and it's been like a back and forth on six colors between jason and dan jason doing it in keyboard maestro and then dan doing it in shortcuts but this um podcast noter workflow so this is only something i do on this show so my other shows connected and ungenious i edit and i edit them right after we record them so i don't really take edit notes as we go but Jim Metzendorf edits Mac Power Users, which is why it sounds better than the other shows I'm on. He's a better <laughs> editor than I am. And uh, and I provide him a list of edit points as we go. Now, he still like goes through the whole show, but this is like things like I really want to make sure that, that he catches. And what I used to do is keep an eye on the timer and our recording and I have a text document and I'll quickly tab over and like type the timeout and then like a little dash like, oh, uh, crosstalk or... Stephen mispronounced a word or put a chapter marker here, whatever. It was very manual and therefore very fragile. Uh, but Jason spent some time over the holiday trying to solve this need because he has it as well. And basically what he came up with was a workflow. Again, I'm using his uh, keyboard maestro version where with the push of a button on the stream deck, I get a little window and I can type what happened and hit enter. And then it goes into a text file that automatically pulls the time from audio hijack. So if I cough at 114.35, then I hit the button and it says 114.35 dash cough, whatever I type in there. And it has made my notes, I think, a lot better. Hopefully Jim agrees. I guess <laughs> if he doesn't agree, you can let me know. I think it's better. And uh, it's just a, a little button I did on the lower left of my stream deck so I can find it without looking at my stream deck which is very important when podcasting, I find. You don't want to move your head a bunch while you're talking. And it's great. And then so it's like Stream Deck and Keyboard Maestro and like this weird scripting stuff Jason did. But it's pretty fantastic. So I've been tinkering with that and fiddling with it. Jason's version had pre-filled 
text selections, so like cough, digression, mistake, overtalk, et cetera. Well, my notes for MPU need to be more flexible than that. Those things happen, but also I put, for instance, memberful add, comma, then, and then in quotes, the next chapter name. Well, I can't make that a pre-selected menu item. And so I just have it be a blank text box. So I fiddle with JSONs a little bit, but I've been I've been really happy with it. And I think it makes me, uh, you know, makes my note taking even better during the show. All right. So my suggestion would be that you um, you make a copy of JSONs and you have two buttons, one with a set of pre-populated ones and one with a text file. Yeah. And I think he has done something uh, done something similar there. The, mo- the most common thing I note is crosstalk. So that's when we accidentally interrupt each other. And I sort of signify that with an X in my notes. And so that takes care of like almost anything I would need to pre-type. But yeah, I, I think I want to keep playing with it. But it's a- it's just a cool, extremely specific problem that like a handful of people have that Jason solved in a- honestly a really elegant way. Yeah. I know it's cool when you put all this stuff together. I feel like there's like this convergence happening in automation on the Mac right now. And I love it. I love it so much. I mean, when we were talking uh, last week about, you know, an ultra portable Mac, you know, the idea of something like the MacBook adorable coming back, it's, it was the idea of having like keyboard maestro and all that stuff in a very portable Mac that, that really would make me want to own one, you know, mm-hmm. mine this week is uh is I've been, you know, like everybody else, I've fallen in love with this new iPad mini and I I'm using it a lot so much so that I'm considering selling my, my iPad pro, my, my 11 inch. And one of the things though is text. And we talked about last week, the, um, the idea of a portable keyboard. Well, I bought one a few years ago for my phone. Like I had a couple trips I was taking and I just wanted a portable keyboard. So I got one off Amazon for like 30 bucks and I'll put a link in the show notes for the one I bought. It's, it's not, you know, particularly good or special. I know there's a bunch of vendors making these things on Amazon, but the one I got is called iClever. Don't you love how they still use the I in some of these products, right? Oh yeah. But it's, it's $33. It folds in half. Some of them fold in threes. So which makes it even smaller, but this one just looked okay. It's like a vinyl covering on a little keyboard it's got three bluetooth radios in it and it works fine and after we talked on the show last week i got it out again and spent some time working with it because we're out of time here i'm actually about to leave on vacation and i decided i'm just going to bring the ipad mini and this little i clever keyboard for most of my work but i'm also bringing the laptop because i just opened the max parquet labs and something's going to happen i'll need it you know but but for most of the stuff like on the plane and you know, banging around work, the little iPad mini with this iClever keyboard, I think will be plenty. And it was, uh, it's something I would recommend. Like if you've got an iPhone or a small iPad that you would like to have a keyboard once in a while for this thing fits in your bag. My only downside is that it charges on micro USB. I hate that plug so much. It's bad. (laughs) Yeah. I still have, I still have some stuff that charges on it. So I'm bringing the cable anyway, but, uh, it's a nice little gadget, and I uh, I hope that uh, if anybody's looking for a keyboard, this would be one that I think you may like. Can't go wrong for thirty bucks. Yeah. What's the yeah. battery life like? I mean, charging it 
with that cable is kind of a pain, but how's the, how's it the, goes a lo- it goes a long time. I mean, I haven't used it enough to really run the battery down. Like I used it for like a week and then I charge it again, but I don't know what the battery was. I think there's a way you can press some magical key combination and get a battery status, but I just once in a while plug it in and um, I haven't had the battery die on me. Cool. Well, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing how that goes on the trip and how, iPad mini life goes. That's, that's exciting to me as an iPad mini fan. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I still have the big one and I keep it on my desk. It's almost like a second monitor and I still use that around the house sometimes, but I, and I have too many iPads. I, I feel <laughs> like I might be, might be narrowing it down here. Well, that wraps it up for this feedback episode. I hope that you got something out of it. Uh, if you've got information to share on how you back up your photos or, uh, if you think I have truly lost my mind with the way I manage my calendars, that's okay. We have a forum for you. Go over to, uh, what is it? Talk.macpowerusers.com. You can log in right there and share your thoughts. Uh, we are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at relay.fm slash MPU. And thank you to our sponsors this week, Samebox, Memberful, Squarespace, and Electric. We'll see you next time.